Part One, Chapter Ten of the Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One, by Edward Tyus Cook. Freedom, Paris, and Harley Street, eighteen fifty-three to October eighteen fifty-four. Lo, as some venturer from his stars receiving promise and presage of sublime emprise, wears evermore the seal of his believing deep in the dark of solitary eyes. F. W. H. Myers The institution in which Florence Nightingale was to serve her apprenticeship in Paris was the Maison de la Providence, belonging to the Sœur de la Charité in the Rue Oudinot, Faubourg Saint-Germain. The Abbé de Jeannette described in a letter to Manning the attractions which would offer to his protégé. The principal house, managed by twenty sisters, received nearly two hundred poor orphans, and also conducted a creche. A hospital was attached to it next door for aged and sick women. Within ten minutes' walk, Miss Nightingale would find two other hospitals, one a general hospital, the other a children's hospital. The English demoiselle would conform in accordance with her desire to the rules of the house as a postulant, rendering all necessary service to the sick. The only restrictions were that she would not be able to enter the refectory or the dormitory of the sisters. She would have to sleep and take her meals in her own room. But she would be free to visit the poor in company with the sisters to serve the sick under their direction in various hospitals and infirmaries, and to assist in the care of the orphans alike in class and at play. Such was the life in Paris to which Miss Nightingale was looking forward eagerly. She left London for Paris on February 3, 1853, with her cousin, Miss Bonham Carter, and they stayed with Monsieur and Madame Mole in the Rue de Bac. Before entering the Maison de la Providence, Miss Nightingale desired to visit and study other institutions in Paris. She was armed with a comprehensive permit from the Administration Générale de l'Assistance Publique to study in all the hospitals of the city. She availed herself indefatigably of this permission, spending her days in inspecting hospitals, infirmaries, and religious houses, and having the advantage of seeing the famous Paris surgeons at their work. Now, as at all times, she was a diligent collector and student of reports, returns, statistics, pamphlets. Among her papers of this date are elaborately tabulated analyses of hospital organization and nursing arrangements, both in France and in Germany, and a circular of questions bearing on the same subjects which she seems to have addressed to the principal institutions in the United Kingdom. Her evenings were spent in company with her host and hostess. There were soirées dansant in the Rue de Bac. She went once or twice with Madame Mole to balls elsewhere and also to the opera. She met many English visitors and distinguished Parisians. Having completed her general inquiries into the Paris hospitals, she presented herself to the Reverend Mother of the Maison de la Providence and had arranged a day for her admission when she was suddenly recalled to England by the illness of her grandmother, who died at the age of ninety-five. Great has been the occasion for Flo's usefulness, wrote Mr. Nightingale to his wife, and I shall never be thankful enough, wrote Florence herself, to her cousin in Paris, that I came. 
I was able to make her be moved and changed and to do other little things which perhaps smoothed the awful passage and which perhaps would not have been done as well without me. A family event of a different kind interested Miss Nightingale at this time. Her cousin Blanche Shore Smith had become engaged to Arthur Hugh Clough. Miss Nightingale greatly liked him. As a long engagement seemed likely, Miss Nightingale interested herself in the future of the young couple, discussing the proper limits of parental allowances in such matters, drawing up elaborately detailed estimates of household expenditure, not forgetting to include future charges for a young family, as by the statistics of the average birth rate they might be calculated. Statistics were already almost a passion with her. Section 2 Negotiations were now on foot for Miss Nightingale to take charge of a benevolent institution in London, and Madame Mole advised her to keep in their places the great ladies who were concerned in it. Neither now nor at any time was she much in love with committees, but not every word in the following account of the negotiations need be taken very seriously. To Madame Mole, Lee Hurst, April 8th, in all that you say, I cordially agree, and if you knew what the fashionable asses have been doing their offs and their ons, poor fools, you would say so ten times more. I shall be truly grateful if you will write to Pop. My people know as much of the affair now as I do, which is not much. You see the FAS or AFS, which will stand for ancient fathers and be more respectful as they are all Puseyites, the FAS want me to come up to London now and look at them, and if we suit to come very soon into the sanatorium, which I am afraid will preclude my coming back to Paris, especially if you are coming away soon, for going there without you would unveil all my iniquities, as the FAS are quite as much afraid of the RCs as my people are. It is no use telling you the history of the negotiations, which are enough to make a comedy in fifty acts. They may be summed up, as I once heard an Irish shoeless boy translate Virgil, Obstupui, I was all the gither bothered, stederuntque come I, and my hair stood up like the bristles of a pig, vox falsibus heisit, and divil a word could I say. Well, divil a bit of a word can I say, except that you are very good, dear friend, to take so much interest and that I shall be truly glad if you will write to Pop, dans le sang de mousse. All your advice, which I sent to Mrs. Bracebridge, I give my profoundest adhesion to. I would gladly point the finger of scorn in the liveliest manner at the FAS and ride them roughshod round Grosvenor Square. I will even do my very best, but I am afraid it is not in me to do it as I should wish. It would be only a poor feint, a mean caricature, but I will practice and you shall see me. My people are now at 30 Old Burlington Street, where I shall be in another week. Please write to them there, and if you can do a little quacking for me to them, the same will be thankfully received, in order that I may come in when I arrive not with my tail between my legs, but gracefully curve round me in the old way in which Perugino's devil wears it in folds round the waist. I am afraid I must live at the place. If I don't, it will be a half-and-a-half half measure, which will satisfy no one. However, I shall take care to be perfectly free to clear off without its being considered a failure at my own time. I can give you no particulars, dearest friend, because I don't know any. I can only say that unless I am left a free agent 
and am to organize the thing myself and not they, I will have nothing to do with it. But as the thing is yet to be organized, I cannot lay a plan either before you or my people, and that rather perplexes them as they want to make conditions that I shan't do this or that. If you would well present my plans as you say to them, it would be an inestimable benefit both to them and to me. Hilly will tell you all I know, that it is a sanatorium for sick governesses managed by a committee of fine ladies. But there are no surgeon students nor improper patients there at all, which is, of course, a great recommendation in the eyes of the proper. The patients, or rather the impatients, for I know that what it is to nurse sick ladies, are all pay patients, poor friendless folk in London. I am to have the choosing of the house, the appointment of the chaplain, and the management of the funds, as the FAS are at present minded. But Isaiah himself could not prophesy how they will be minded at eight o'clock this evening. What specially annoyed Miss Nightingale was that some of the fashionable ladies, in the course of gossip, had begun to wonder whether her appointment would have the approval of her family. Some officious friend had suggested that it would be cruel to take her away from her home. This difficulty was disposed of by Miss Nightingale's assurance that the appointment would be submitted to the approval of her mother and father. Her father now agreed to make her an independent allowance, paid quarterly in advance. It was on a scale sufficiently liberal to enable her to offer her services to the institution entirely gratuitously. She also agreed to pay all the charges, board and lodging included, of the matron, Mrs. Clark, whom she was to bring with her. Another difficulty was then raised. The superintendent of a nursing home ought to be present when the doctors went their rounds and when operations were performed. But would it be seemly for a gentlewoman to do this? Miss Nightingale insisted, and an agreement was arrived at in April. She was to enter upon her duties as superintendent as soon as new premises had been secured, and meanwhile she was free to resume her studies in Paris. Section 3 she returned to Paris on May 30, and after a week spent with Monsieur and Madame Mol, during which she again inspected various hospitals, she entered the Maison de la Providence in the Rue Oudinot on June 8. From Paris, she kept up correspondence with regard to the new premises for the institution in London. The indispensable conditions of a suitable house are, she wrote to Lady Canning, June 5, first, that the nurse should never be obliged to quit her floor except for her own dinner and supper, and her patient's dinner and supper, and even the latter might be avoided by the windlass we have talked about. Without a system of this kind, the nurse is converted into a pair of legs. Secondly, that the bells of the patients should all ring in the passage outside the nurse's own door, on that story, and should have a valve which flies open when its bell rings, and remains open in order that the nurse may see who has rung. The letter continues for some pages to describe other requirements about a hot water supply and the like, points which are now in the ABC of hospitals or nursing homes, but which then were novel counsels of perfection. The idea of a lift in particular was new. Inquiries were made by the ladies in various parts of the country, and there were many hitches before a suitable apparatus was installed. The correspondence is significant of the attention to practical detail which characterized all Miss Nightingale's work. Meanwhile, her work with the Sisters of Charity among the poor came to a tiresome pause. The nurse had herself to be nursed. The nature of the calamity is described in a letter to Madame Mole, who was paying visits in England at the time. Back drawing room at Madame Mole's Rue de Bac, 
one twenty june twenty eighth my dearest friend do you see where i am here's a go has monsieur mole told you here am i in bed in your back drawing-room poor monsieur mole appears to bear it with wonderful equanimity and reconciliement like his danseurs not so i it is the most impertinent the most surprising the most inopportune thing i have ever done me established in a lady's house in her absence to be ill if monsieur mole had any sins i should think i was the avenging puka appointed to castigate him as he has none i am obliged to arrest myself at the other supposition that it is for my own it was not my fault though really here is how the things have happened i have had the measles at the sewer and of all my adventures of which i have had many and queer as will be never recorded in the book of my wanderings the dirtiest and the queerest i have ever had has been a measles in the cell of a sewer de la charite they were very kind to me and dear monsieur mole wrote to me almost every day and sent me tea which however they would not let me have and he lastly in his paternity would have me back where i came yesterday and established me in the back drawing-room to my infinite horror and now i am getting better very fast and mean to be out again in a day or two i had got rid of the eruption and all that before i came monsieur mole is so kind and comes to see me and talk which i suppose is very improper but i can't help it and he has been like a father to me and never was such a father i really am so ashamed of all his kindness and the trouble i give them that my brazen old face blushes crimson and i assure you this paper ought to be read julie the servant is very kind to me but i hope not to be long on their hands as to my calamity itself it is like the mariage de mademoiselle who could have foreseen it it really was not my fault there was no measles at any of my posts and i had had them not eighteen months ago so that erect in the consciousness of that dignity i should not have kept out of their way if i had seen them the doctor would not believe i could have had them before well i am so ashamed of myself that i shall lock myself up for the rest of my life and never go nowhere no more for you see it's evident that providence who was always in my way and who as the superior said is très admirable meaning wonderful and having done this does not mean me to come to paris nor to the sewer having twice made me ill when i was doing so and given you all this trouble for me to come to paris to have the measles a second time is like going to the grand desert to die of getting one's feet wet or anything most unexpected please write to monsieur mole and comfort him for his disaster i am so repentant that i can say nothing which the catholics tell me is the mar of a true humiliation thank you a thousand times for all your kindness i come to england next week f n monsieur mole required no comfort miss nightingale's father wrote to thank him for his kindness to her the kindness he gallantly replied was on her side in giving him the advantage of her society and conversation her gentle manner he wrote july twenty five covers such a depth and strength of mind and thought that I am afraid of nothing for her, but that her health should fail her. End of part one of Freedom, Paris, and Harley Street, 1853 to October 1854.